This episode and every episode is brought to you by Progress, the makers of Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, helping you easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, desktop apps, and even chatbots. If you enjoy the show, please check us out at Telerik.com and see what we have to offer. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. It's a special edition of Eat Sleep Code. We're live at Build 2019, and joining me today is Daniel Roth. Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. Well, um, sure. Yeah, I'm a program manager at Microsoft. I work on the ASP.NET team, on the broader .NET team. I've been doing that for a little while now. Pretty much my entire career at Microsoft, I'm working on .NET, and it just keeps getting better. Uh, yeah, that's it definitely keeps getting better because we're going to talk about one of our frame, favorite new frameworks today, and that is Blazor. Uh, for the folks listening on the podcast, we have a live Q&A stream going as well. So uh, we've already got people cheering us on. So you may hear some weird names getting shouted out, like Bite Me is cheering us on right now. Uh, Chris <laughs> Santi is saying Dan Who, being a little... Uh, Cheeky there, thank you, Chris. Oh, um, I thought that was a Doctor Who fan, uh, Doctor Who <laughs> reference. Uh, so, Blazor, <laughs> you had a session on Blazor yesterday. I did. Actually, it was uh, uh, broader than that. It was ASP.NET Core 3.0 because we yes. just shipped .NET Core 3.0 Preview 5 earlier this week, uh, which includes a bunch of Blazor stuff. So it was uh, also a Blazor talk as well. Yeah. And- I said that because unfortunately I was busy interviewing Scott Hunter yesterday. Uh, you missed unfortunately, my talk. But unfortunately I missed the talk. <laughs> uh, fortunately I was interviewing Scott Hunter, uh, but I did miss the talk, so I wasn't sure exactly what it was about. So there was some laser in there. There's some ASP.NET core goodness as well. well. What it was is uh, uh, a talk about doing full stack web development. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you want to build everything from the front end to the back end with .NET and how .NET Core 3.0 and Blazor uh, now gives you a story for pretty much every piece of the application that you want to build. You know, you have your your, your client-side browser code that you want to write, you know, rich, interactive web UI. Uh, what do you do for that with .NET? Well, now we have a story for that with, with Blazor. Uh, on the front-end server, we've always had ASP.NET Core, you know, MVC and Razor Pages, SignalR, Web APIs, security. But then on the, when you get to the back end, you want to write back-end services. Like, say, you just want to write a worker process that may or may not even have any endpoints. Um, what, what do you do for that with, with .NET? What's the, what's the story? We have a new uh, worker template in .NET Core 3.0 uh, that's built for long-running worker processes that uses the same uh, ho- uh, uh, generic hosting abstractions that we use in ASP.NET Core. So you still get the same logging abstractions, dependency injection, nice. uh, config, uh, but with a just, it's basically just like a lightweight console app, though, with with those hosting um, uh, services built in. So it's like a microservices starter kit. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to have something that's just like popping off a queue and then doing some work with those messages and then sending something off to somebody else, that's what that worker template is for. Uh, and then for your service-to-service communication on the back end. What do you use for that? I mean, you could use just normal HTTP and uh, you know web RESTful style services, HTTP services with JSON. But for backend service calls, that that mm-hmm. kind of feels like a little bit um, of, of uh, overhead. Like, can you do something more efficient? In 3.0, we've made a big investment uh, with a collaboration, actually, with the the community uh, to um, improve the gRPC support for for .NET Core. Oh, good. Uh, so we've got nice built-in a nice built-in template for gRPC. Uh, we've been uh, plotting the 
uh, the services stack on top of the ASP.NET Core server stack. Uh, and then, you know, all, of course, all the code gen based on your protobuf files so that you get a strongly typed RPC programming model uh, for dealing for, uh, with uh, backend gRPC services. Um, so we showed like a whole, like a, if, you've, if people seen the Blazing Pizza app, you know the, mm -hmm. there's a there's a Blazor workshop that we put together. It's public on on GitHub. You can find it at um, aka.ms/blazorworkshop. Um, we took that UI app. It was just, that app's just the front end, and we added a back end to it. Like the orders when you when you, when you order a pizza, it goes into an order queue, and then you have worker processes that pull off the orders and prepare the pizzas and then they hand it off to another queue for delivery and then a delivery process like actually handles delivering the pizza and all the uh, then all the back-end worker processes send notifications to the front-end blazer app to, mm -hmm. to give order status to the to the user I think this stuff is really important because I, I hear a lot of questions from people that ask uh, so I'm shipping my DLL down the pipe that means all of my IP related code is in there and it's running in the browser, and somebody could use a Telerik tool called Just Decompile uh -huh. and take that apart and see my IP code. And it's like, well, just run it in one of these worker services if it's that sensitive. Like, don't ship it down the wire. Do it on the server and make a call to it. Well, you don't even necessarily need to go all the way to um, a worker process. Like, the worker processes are like, the, you know, these back-end processes that are kind of behind your, your front end. If you don't want to ship the code all the way down to the browser, just use server-side Blazor. Use Blazor for server. Yeah. Uh, in that mode, your components, your code is still running on the server. The only thing that's going down to the client is a little bit of JavaScript code that sets up a SignalR connection back to the to the server and then sends all the UI events to the server. The components then run. They, uh, the, they do their normal rendering. They calculate the DOM diff that needs to be applied. That gets then serialized back down to the, to the browser and applied to the actual DOM. In that mode, there's no DLLs or .NET, anything that actually ends up in the browser. You're kind of treating the browser as a, like a thin client. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a thing for rendering some, some UI. Uh, and a lot of people like that, like people who are nervous about their IP, their code going down to the browser. The server-side Blazor model is really appealing to them. Uh, one demo we often do is with ML.NET. Uh, where you, let's say you've you've done a lot of work to train using machine learning a, a a model that you know does something useful like we typically do like sentiment analysis or something like that but it could be anything and that that machine learned model is you know that's part of your IP that's an important piece of uh, a differentiator for your company potentially you don't want to yeah. necessarily download that to the browser and run it in the browser because then you've just given it away uh, with the server side blazer model you can just run ml the ml.net uh, model on the server and then just apply the ui remotely effectively uh, back down to the browser and yeah, we've uh, we've got a lot of feedback not necessarily questions but people this is actually really good feedback though um, when they say things like it's a shame the session couldn't be longer and go a bit deeper. Uh, yeah. You had a lot to pack into an hour. <laughs> I did. And there was, uh, to be honest, there was a lot more that people wanted me to try and to, to, to shove into that talk. Yeah, this, this, this built uh, conference has been interesting because we opened it up to the, uh, the broader community to do, to do talks. So it's not just you know, Microsoft talks that build this year. It's lots of, uh, lots of other folks giving, giving talks on other topics, which has been great. Um, but it did mean that uh, for telling our, you know, doing our 
our, our standard Microsoft talks, we kind of had to cram in a bunch of things into a, a fewer sessions. Uh, so we didn't have like a, a standalone uh, Blazor talk to be able to do, you know, go as deep as we want. This was a broader ASP.NET Core 3.0 session. So yeah, we had to go, had to go kind of fast. Uh, so you might want to watch it at half speed <laughs> on the uh, recording because I did have to Drink turn through a lot of things. Hose, right? And there were so many things that I wanted to do that... Uh, that it just didn't didn't fit, unfortunately. But. So Lewis Hendricks has a great question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase a little bit uh, to make it a little easier on on listeners. Um, can you explain what is shipping and when? So, for example, what is the GA for server side, and what is the expectation for client side? Yeah, absolutely. So server side Blazor. Um, that's the model we just talked about, where the components run on the server and all the UIs handled over a SignalR connection. That is shipping in .NET Core 3.0. It is in the box. .NET Core 3.0, the, the, the roadmap for that was all announced this week. There will be a go-live uh, release candidate release of .NET Core 3.0 this summer, so like July. Uh, okay. You can expect to go live with server-side Blazor for the first time. Um, We're basically releasing .NET Core 3.0 every month. So we just shipped Preview 5 in May. There'll be another Preview 6 in, in June that will have a bunch more new features. Uh, pr the Preview 7 is going to be the release candidate. That's go-live. Uh, in August, there'll probably be a second release candidate, like a follow-up um, go-live release. And then in September, it will GA. And so .NET Core 3.0 will be in production at, in, in September of this year, and it will include server-side Blazor. That means the entire component model is in and the entire server-side Blazor hosting model. In parallel, we are still working on client-side Blazor for WebAssembly. And in fact, we, we release both uh, simultaneously because Bla client-side Blazor uses the same component model as server-side Blazor, so it depends on it. Like You, you yeah. need 3.0 in order to use client-side Blazor. So every time we ship a 3.0 release, we'll ship a client-side update. Um, those will continue to ship together throughout the 3.0 release. The support for WebAssembly won't ship with 3.0 and won't be ready in the 3.0 timeframe. It won't be done by September. Okay. It'll ship sometime later. Uh, we haven't officially announced when. Uh, we have said that the .NET for WebAssembly support is part of the broader .NET 5 wave, which was uh, is uh, scheduled all the way out through like November of next year. We don't expect to need to wait that long to get Blazor for WebAssembly shipped. Right now, we're running on uh, you know mono.wasm, a, a mono build of of, of WebAssembly, uh, and we expect to ship a first version of Blazor on top of those those bits. Eventually, though, we want to take mono.wasm and .NET Core and all the .NETs and merge them together into .NET 5. Mm -hmm. So eventually in the .NET 5 wave, you should expect like a newer version of the WebAssembly support that has been you know, fully aligned with all the, uh, the .NET 5 bits. So I, instead of mono.wasm, it'll be you know, .NET 5, wasm, okay. whatever that turns out to be. Um, if I had to guess about when the first Blazor for WebAssembly release will go out, my God is like uh, early-ish next year, like Q1 of next year. And, and this yeah. is not a committed release date. Like mm -hmm. these, aren't, these aren't things that I can say that like you should plan like a, 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 a you know, if you're, build, if you're trying to build some mission-critical production web application, don't, don't use these dates to, to plan that just yet. Yeah, just, just to give you a feel of how we think about it. Um, I would, you know, Q1 of next year feels about, about right. I, there has been some discussion of like, well, could we get, to get it done by the end of this year? My God is that'll be a little bit tight. Uh, but that has been discussed as well. I think Q1 of next year is 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 more realistic. But we'll see. We'll, as soon as we have a firm roadmap for .NET for WebAssembly, we'll let you know. I mean, there just is, you know, there's a bunch of work still to, to do there. 
Um, if you've tried out the debugging experience for .NET for WebAssembly, it's cool. Like, you know, it's great to see that you can hit breakpoints in the browser, um, but it's pretty rough. Like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on debugging. Uh, there's work, uh, a lot of work that still needs to be done on performance. Um, the, if you want to do computationally intensive workloads in the browser right now with Blazor, it's not, it's not great for that. Like, no, you're not, not going to yeah. be doing blockchain mining in the browser <laughs> with, 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 what we, with the bits that we currently have. Um, uh, we, we, we run this with an IL interpreted model right now. There's no mm -hmm. JIT. Uh, we are working on AOT, and, and I know I've been saying that for a while, and I, I'm also still waiting for the first Blazor release that we can ship that actually has the AOTs in the box. Uh, we, we, ha we do now have AOT, AOT bits from the Mono team that we are uh, uh, playing around with and, and using. Um, uh, the, the, the joke I've been telling people that build is we got, we got a drop like you know, a couple weeks ago and, and it was great because it you know, showed some, the perform some performance improvements. Um, but at the time it ran for about a quarter of a second before it, uh, it, it crashed. <laughs> um, that's been fixed. That's since, that's since been resolved. Uh, and it's just going to get better. Um, I mean, AOT for .NET is it's not just about WebAssembly. Like we're going to use, use it for a bunch of other uh, you know, .NET 5 related technologies uh, uh, as well. So we, it's a broader investment. And uh, hopefully soon. I, I don't know if Preview 6 is going to have AOT either. We'll, we'll, we have to see. We're still working through that with the Mono folks. But that's the second big long poll. The third big uh, you know, work item for Mo, uh, .NET on WebAssembly is the app size. Like we need to drive the app size down. Honestly, we've been going the wrong direction. Like we've been sort of slowly creeping up a little bit bigger as more and more functionality makes it into the WebAssembly runtime. Um, just recently, we've they, we started to see some progress of rolling that back and, and trimming app size. There is a balance there with AOT because when you AOT bits, the bits do get larger. Like the .NET uh, assemblies are actually fairly compact in comparison to a, a full WebAssembly AOT version of those assemblies. So there'll be some some dialing there. Like we'll we'll be reducing size on one hand, and then it'll get bigger because of AOT, and then we have to figure out well how much do we AOT so the app size is still reasonable, and but we still want to get good runtime performance. Those are the the performance knobs that we're going to be messing with. And we've got uh, a couple good questions here. Um, Chris Santio is asking about uh, debugging in Visual Studio. You're talking about the experience in Chrome where you can set a breakpoint and stuff like that. Eventually, the plan is to get that into Visual Studio as well, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, so we have in-browser debugging for Blazor on WebAssembly, and we we know how to do the, the Visual Studio version where Visual Studio attaches to a... Um, to a browser instance that has remote debugging already set up, like VS launches the browser correctly, attaches to it, and you can hit breakpoints for code running in the browser from within Visual Studio. In fact, like we, we've done like prototype demos of that, mm -hmm. uh, but we expect to have that uh, in, the, in the Visual Studio experience uh, hopefully soon. Like It's not that far off. The Mono guys have done their, their side of the work. We just need to, to finish up the VS integration. I saw a question on here also about, uh, about Edge and being able to debug an Edge. Uh, originally, when we did the debugging support, it was Chrome only. Uh, and in our backs of our minds, we knew, well, eventually we should, we'll also need to do it for, you know, for Edge, and mm. that, that'll be important. But a lot, of, a lot of web devs use Chrome. That seemed like a reasonable choice to, to go with initially. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, the Edge team did us a huge favor <laughs> and uh, this, just, this, this, just decided to, to replat on, on, on Chromium. And uh, I wish I could say that that was for us, that you know, we went to them and said, you know, Instead of us implementing, you know, Edge support, could you guys just, you know, rewrite Edge on top of Chrome? That would make, you know, Blazor much better. And I wish I, wish I could say that was how it went down. That's not how it went down. It just was a happy <laughs> coincidence. Uh, but it's great. Yeah, we, you can now do the uh, browser debugging with the, the new uh, version of Edge that's based on Chromium. Yeah, Chris is also asking about um, 
uh, unit testing around components themselves. And uh, he said it's on the backlog, but there's no issues yet. So you guys yeah. probably are working on on bigger things right now. Right? We would love to get that one in. Like so, so the I talked about roadmap a little bit. Like preview six is kind of the last big feature uh, milestone for the .NET Core 3.0 release. And once we get into the uh, the RC releases, we're really just trying to do bug fixing and stabilizing. And so we're in that process right now of doing all the real hard cuts, like really trimming back to just what, what can we get away with? Because there's only so much time left. I, I wish testing was going to make it in for um, uh, for three RTM, but we did end up having to push it out. We'll have to do it in like a three dot one or some 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 future release. Uh, we do plan to do it. It is is there is an issue on GitHub. It is sitting in our backlog. Uh, I think some people have managed to you know hack up enough code to be able to unit test their components. So I think it's possible. It's just not super easy. Um, we want to make it easy, and it'll come. Like we, we you know first things first. Got to get the the basics done. Yeah, I think this story might be a little similar on this next one. People are asking about about authentication on server-side Blazor. Yeah, auth is in. So for preview six, we will have a full authentication oh, story. Nice. If you go on GitHub and track down the auth issue, um, Steve Sanderson's been working on that, and uh, that will ship in preview six. And uh, apparently my website needs a cert update. I will have to look into that. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. Um, so we, we definitely have a... Uh, release coming this year. So that is excellent news. Uh, we've had a lot of traffic at uh, the Telerik booth talking about you know the excitement around Blazor and people have asked us that question over and over again. And we, we've tried to support it by saying, look, we're going to go ahead and release our 1.0 because we know you guys are you know, going to have something very soon. So we, we shipped our 1.0 of the Telerik UI. Components. Super cool. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, it's so awesome. What that, that means for developers is they have support from us. Mm -hmm. So if they have a component of ours that they feel like isn't working the way they feel it's intended to work, they can file a, a support ticket and we can check and see if that's a bug and collect feedback and those type of things directly through our support channel, which is amazing. Yeah, I was trying out the uh, the Teller Grid actually in my talk. Like I, I got the chance to to you know rip out the weather forecast table in the in the default Blazor template and replace it with a, a full Telerik grid and do sorting and paging and filtering. It's 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 really great. People are complimenting the shirt you wore yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to send Dan a shirt and uh, I was happy to see that you actually uh, wore it on stage yesterday during your talk. Yeah, so, well, it's it was my best looking shirt at the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to the show and not watching, um, I have a live stream uh, that I do each Friday called Blazor State Has Changed and there there was not until very recently a Blazor logo. So yeah. I created my own. Uh, it's a... Uh, very, uh, very familiar-looking glove. Mm -hmm. I, I won't say what company because I've had some feedback already on this, but um, <laughs> I call it the Pal R glove. Uh, you know, with the R like signal R. Oh, oh, oh okay. Pal you know, R. That gets me. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but that gets me around some issues. Uh, but uh, it has the words "blazer" across the knuckles, which uh, is a fun, fun little logo. And uh, we've got some shirts that we printed up for it. Um, Feel free to ask questions in the chat room. Uh, we've got about 10 more minutes left, so if you haven't got your question in yet, uh, you need to probably get that in soon. Um, so uh, we're, we're definitely looking at 
performance improvements and things coming with the the client side stuff. When the, when you talk about AOT, is any of that stuff going to be compiled directly to WASM, or is it is AOT just for .NET code? Or so the it, it, well, AOT is taking your your C sharp code and going all the way to to WebAssembly. That's what okay. that is what we mean by that. Initially, what we expect that we'll do is we'll probably take some of the of CoreFX, like the the base class libraries that make up .NET, and we'll do some some sort of profile where we say, okay, let's AOT these parts of the core class libraries, um, you know, string and dictionaries, like things that pretty much every app is going to want, um, and and to try and do that for for common web scenarios, and then we I, I think we'll just ship Blazor with those pre AOT bits that way. Uh, in the future, we also want to have the uh, AOT toolchain available to anyone so that when you're writing your app and you want to do performance tuning for a particular uh, code pass in your application, you can choose what you want to AOT uh, and add that to your application. It, it is a, um, a mixed mode model. Like you, you, you shouldn't think of this as like, I'm going to take my entire app and AOT it to WebAssembly. I mean, conceptually, you can do that. The downside of doing that is that the app then does get very large. Like, mm -hmm. uh, initial prototypes of this were showing, like, you know, tens of megabytes uh, to, to AOT oh, wow. everything in the app, which, I mean, for some apps, maybe that's okay. Uh, and if you really want the performance across the board, maybe that's what you do. But we think for most apps, that's probably not what they're going to want. They, they're going to want to mix so that you have this balance of app size and, and, and performance. Um, so in the in the future, I think you'll have the tool chain where you can decide what you want to AOT. You can AOT some of your bits. You can AOT different parts of of, of CoreFX uh, and get the the balance that that works for you. Um, we probably won't have that initially because the tool chain right now is pretty is pretty heavy. Like it involves a lot of pieces. You know, having all of them scripted and all these things. You know, hundreds of megabytes of of, of tool chain, and we need we need to do some work to make that thing, you know, easy to to acquire and, and consume and use. Uh, but once we have it in, in, in shape, I think we'll we will be making it available to everyone. It sounds like a really uh, powerful tool that you just have to use wisely, um, <laughs> and. Uh, Akira GTX is uh, kind of asking the question you just answered, like, how big will an AOT file get? What's the estimation? You kind of said, you know, they can be tens of megs if you're not careful uh, with how you set up the tooling. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's more like a growth factor. Like like given this much .NET IL, if you AOT it, how big does that then be, become? And it gets it gets larger. Like, and it's not dissimilar to like when you. Um, Oh, what's it called when you when you take a .NET IL and you like ngen you cross gen uh, .NET IL into the na the native image of the of the OS like there is a similar growth factor that that occurs there. Um, I mean, we're working on trying to make that as small as, as we as we can, but it is pretty pretty significant. Like you know, two x, three x. The numbers are not you know un unreasonable to th to think about. Uh, I think the bits that we I actually just was asking uh, the devs about uh, the, the the drop of that the mono guys gave us and I think they they said that with the pieces that they had AOT which wasn't everything in the Blazor app uh, not even a, it was it was like a bunch of performance benchmarks the app size had grown to like you know 15 megs which obviously is that's that's too big like we need to figure something out there to make that much smaller uh, and that's the engineering work that's happening this is, this is part of the reason why .NET for WebAssembly needs 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 some more time. It's it's not going to be done in the 3.0 time frame by September. We need to, to work through all these things. Yeah. Personally, I'd rather have a, uh, this goes with any tools, includes ours, um, I'd rather have it done right and later than done now and not done right. And yeah. that's uh, one of the things, um, I, won't, I won't get too much on a pedestal here, but we decided to build our, our uh, Telerik UI components for Blazor 
natively and not take our existing JavaScript stuff and just shove it into Blazor with wrappers. Uh, we wanted to build them right so you have all the native features out of the box like templating and validation and uh, you're you're working with the render tree properly and all of those things you'd expect but same thing goes you know for what you're talking about I'd rather have uh, you guys take the time to make it right and not have big files you know shipping down the wire that's, so that's our goal the good news though is that you do get the perf back like when in in our testing we do we have seen Doing AOT bits uh, gets us pretty close to like normal .NET Core performance levels uh, running in the browser, so that that'll be pretty pretty hot. And Lewis was asking uh, if you'd elaborate just a little bit more on Preview Six Auth. Is that server and client, or just server side auth? It's ser server and client auth, auth authentication story, um, and a lot of that work is uh, you know doing the the plumbing and infrastructure so that you have access to the the user identity through your components so you can make make authentication decisions about who uh, well, well not really make make app decisions about uh, who the current uh, uh, user is so yeah it, it's it's both both hosting models it's intended to be uh, hosting model agnostic, I guess is what I would say. Mr. Magoo is asking about exception handling uh, in, in Blazor. I'm, I'm assuming he meant client side because I think this is a little more client centric of a problem. Uh, a lot of times you see errors that fail kind of silently. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes you have to dig into the console to see a big red pile of error messages and things like that. He was just well, asking. Is hopefully, there... if it shows up in the console, hopefully that's not a silent error. Then, like that's that's kind of where you would expect the 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 stack trace spew to 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 appear would be in the the the, the dev console. Um, if you're not seeing that, like you had an exception, get uh, an uncaught exception that got thrown and nothing showed up, like that would be something that uh, we would need to follow up on and mm -hmm. uh, file bugs. Like uh, th that's. Really more of a runtime concern, so you should file issues on the uh, the mono repo mm -hmm. uh, and let them know, and we'll get those things fixed. Mr. Magoo's elaborating and saying he, he gets complete complete browser lockups, so I, I think it might be time to file one an issue on GitHub there. Yeah, file, file bugs on the mono repo for those, or or if you think it's in the upper layers, like if you think it's lockups happening um, in in the Blazor UI framework itself, like let us know that those issues can go on the uh, the ASP.NET Core repo. We should we should look at those. And yeah. Stephen is asking Stephen Kramer. He's asking if um, if there's anything that's changing with Wasm direct access to the DOM. Currently, you have to use JavaScript interop to interact directly with the DOM. Does WebAssembly have any uh, future bits that are doing that type of work? So so there's nothing in WebAssembly that prevents you from accessing the DOM. I mean, you can uh, well. So from WebAssembly, you can access anything in JavaScript. And from JavaScript, you can do whatever you want with the, with the DOM. There are um, uh, post-MVP specs that are being worked on in the WebAssembly working group. Okay. Uh, Post-MVP, I think, means minimal viable protocol or format. Or if I don't remember what they, what they uh, use for that acronym. But uh, there are extensions to the WebAssembly spec that make a bunch of improvements to, to, to the experience there. Like one of them, I believe, was like the threading work, which I think Chrome actually now has implemented the, the the new threading spec uh, so maybe we'll get you know threads uh, support in 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 blazor in running in the browser um, the direct access to Dom objects was I believe was one of those extension specs and honestly I haven't looked at the the status of those specs in a little while uh, I have to go check to see where that's at but it's not it's it's something you can do today like if you want to go grab an HTML element and do something with it in JavaScript from a blazer app you can do that through the JavaScript interop mechanisms mm -hmm. where you tend to run into issues is um, like 
there's there's two layers to Blazor. There's the .NET on WebAssembly layer, like mono.wasm, which anyone can grab and go use and just write whatever .NET code they want that runs in the browser. And then there's the Blazor UI framework that's built on top. And that framework is where you get components and Razor syntax um, and that sort of application model. Uh, when you're using the Blazor UI framework, Blazor works much like how existing JavaScript front-end frameworks work, like Angular and React, where the components render into an in-memory representation of the DOM, and then the Blazor runtime looks at what was rendered, look, looks at what was rendered before, uh, runs a diffing algorithm to calculate the difference, and then very intelligently applies that diff uh, to, to the actual live DOM. And that's nice, because it's more performant, um, what that means, though, is that Blazor kind of expects to own the DOM. Like, mm -hmm. if it, it needs to know what the state of the DOM is. If you have JavaScript, like, you know, hopping in and messing around with elements, uh, it doesn't know that you did that, and that yeah. will mess up the, the, the diffing algorithm calculations. So you can manipulate the DOM. You just have to be careful that if you're also using Blazor and components for that section of the DOM, then, you know, those things can, can step on each other's toes. Yeah, that was one of the R&D points that we hit when we were deciding how to build our Teller components. Because we're like, if we use JavaScript interop to wrap something, we're circumventing the render tree, and that's going to be a bad thing. Uh, so even if it's you know through JavaScript or there's some WASM direct way to do it, uh, it's probably something you want to avoid when working with Blazor anyway. Um, uh, Chris Santi was asking if you guys have any done any um, uh, research into large-scale Blazor applications and thought of lazy loading models and things like that. Yeah, we get that question quite a bit about uh, uh, wanting to load different parts of the apps in, in a lazy way. And we, we've had this on our backlog actually pretty much from, from the beginning of the, when, even when Blazor was experimental, which by the way, it's not anymore. It's official preview, which is really cool. But, but we've been, we had in the back of our minds that eventually we probably will want to do some sort of lazy loading thing. We haven't prioritized it very high. And the reason right now is that, well, the reason why you do lazy loading is, well, you're saying that part of my app I want to load initially, and then later these other parts of the apps, if I need them, then I'll download them, but I don't want to download them up front. With Blazor apps, because the runtime it kind of dwarfs the app size, um, the initial download of just getting the runtime down pretty much dominates the, the app size. The, the DLLs for... Uh, your application are actually pretty small, and they compress pretty pretty well. So you know you download this really big thing, and then you have these little like like little drops in the bucket that you could lazy load later. But it, uh, at least for for most Blazor apps, it doesn't help that much in comparison to the the large download they already had to do. Mm -hmm. So because of that characteristic, we haven't really prioritized it very high yet. As the runtime gets smaller. Um, that concern becomes more interesting. You can be like, oh no, but I have these other chunks of app that uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll trim out um, and load lazily. Um, also, and as apps get bigger, of course, this, this starts, does start, start to dominate. So yeah, we haven't really ha had an app large enough yet where it made sense to do that, but it is on our backlog and it is something we do eventually plan to do. Uh, it won't be in the first version. Yeah, there's also the server-side aspect as well. Um, and we've had questions, not, not right this second, but we've had questions in on Twitter this week about uh, does SignalR as a service work with Blazor server-side? Yeah. In fact, um, one of the cool things you can do now with uh, 
the latest preview release of Visual Studio. So if you're on, you, if you're using Blazor and you're using .NET Core 3.0, make sure you're using Visual Studio Preview Channel. Don't use Visual Studio 2019, the RTM bits. There are new tooling enhancements in the Preview Channel that you will need actually for .NET Core 3.0. I know, I think a bunch of people have been hitting issues with that because they were trying to use the, the stable channel of ES. Make sure you're using the Preview Channel. If you use the latest Preview 3 release from the Preview Channel, 16.1 Preview 3, uh, and the the .NET Core 3.0 preview five bits. There's a cool scenario you can do now where you create a Blazor server-side app, and then you go to publish to Azure. When you publish, there's op an option to add dependencies to your app. Like you can add, you know, a SQL Server database. You can add Azure C uh, SignalR service. When you add the Azure SignalR service, the tooling will add an additional NuGet package to your application which is the Azure SignalR Service SDK. And then without you having to touch any of your code, you can then publish your application and it will wire up the Azure SignalR Service for you just as a, as a no-touch uh, wow. uh, solution. In the future, we even plan to go a step further where we will have um, some uh, detection logic where we can look at your app and say, oh, this app's using SignalR and they're about to publish to Azure App Service. They're probably going to want Azure SignalR service so they can do scale out. And so we can offer to you at that point, like, hey, do you want us to add the Azure SignalR service? Looks like you're using SignalR and you probably would want this. Will Clippy uh, help me with that? It's, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it, uh, but it, we, we'll just, we'll basically, it is kind of, you know, intelligent. Like it'll look at, it'll scan through, because figuring out if an app is using SignalR is not, is not completely trivial. It involves like looking through your code a little bit. Um, but uh, we have um, uh, figured out a way to do that in a, in, a, in a reasonable way. So we can detect that you're using SignalR, uh, which is what's being used by Blazor server-side, uh, and then help you light up the Azure SignalR service. And that, that you can do today with the existing bits, just with the, a manual step of, of adding the Azure SignalR, SignalR service yourself. But you don't have to change any code anymore, which is pretty nice. So Steven, I see your question. I'm going to skip and come back because Lewis's question is a little bit more on topic still. Um, <laughs> we have a question about SignalR, uh, and this isn't the SignalR channel that you use for server-side, but rather a question on SignalR um, if you're consuming it as a client. Right. So currently you have to use a JavaScript interop if you want to interact with SignalR. At uh, some layer, yeah. There's, there's, there's two layers you could plug in. And I think community members have done both. There's, you can just wrap the Azure, uh, this is not, not Azure, the, the SignalR JavaScript client in JS interop code, and that works. The other technique is, uh, I know someone took the .NET SignalR client and did, ripped out the transport layer and put some uh, JavaScript interop code there, uh, and that worked as, as, as well. Uh, we're debating internally, actually, um, uh, what variant do we want to do for... Um, uh, you know, the Microsoft shipped SignalR client so that it just works out of the box with Blazor on, on, on WebAssembly. Um, there would probably be some, some maybe slimmed down version, I think, of the, the .NET SignalR client. It's still kind of under debate right now. One piece that we still need to do is um, we need to get uh, updated mono bits that light up the, the WebSocket support. Like they've already done, in some sense, the JavaScript introp worked for accessing the WebSocket uh, transport. Um, that should actually, I think it might even just make the .NET SignalR client work as is. So I haven't, haven't actually tried nice. it, but that might just work then. Kind of how the uh, like the HP client just sort of sort of works. So there's a potential that that code's there just needs to get bubbled up to a public API. Yeah, and then we nice. might need to do some work on the SignalR client itself just to trim it down, like make it lighter weight for for browser-based scenarios. Okay. Awesome. Um, 
we I'll go back to Stephen's question real quick here. So Stephen Kramer, uh, Stephen has worked on uh, Blazor dual mode. Yeah. Um, he was asking if anything has uh, been put in framework to help transition apps from server to client in a similar way. So, so for, you know, a little history. We used to have a reasonable way that you could flip an app between server side and client side. We made some changes that made this really hard or maybe even not, not quite as possible. Um, the dual mode was a, was, was a great project that, that made it trivial where I think you could just like put a query string parameter and you could flip it back and forth. In preview six, uh, we did have a work item to make it easy again. And I have seen that that issue has been resolved. Uh, because of build, I haven't actually had a chance to go look at how what was done. So I can't really speak to what the new experience is, which is a little embarrassing. Um, but go go on GitHub and look in the uh, closed issues for Preview 6. You'll find a, a bug there that was filed to, to make it easy again to flip between the two hosting models. It has already been closed for Preview 6. And uh, you should see some details there about... Uh, uh, what we did to to make that experience much more more straightforward. I mean, the the component model is is the same. Like we 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 use literally the same component model types for Blazor on WebAssembly and Blazor for server. Um, so I mean, conceptually, this absolutely should work, and it's just a matter of you know putting things in the right places so that the uh, the apps can be easily transitioned. You will still need to make sure that you're writing your app in a hosting model agnostic way. Like if you're writing code in your component that talks directly to the database um, and assuming that you're on the server and then you try to flip that to run on the client, well, that's not going to work because you don't have access directly to the database from the client. So make sure you put appropriate service abstractions in that your components talk to that you can then swap out the implementations of for server-specific implementations or client-specific implementations. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the best approaches I've seen. And I, I kind of grabbed something that Steve had demoed at the uh, NDC London where he had, uh, I think he called it shell apps. So that's what I called it on, on my demo as well, where you can take all of the component code and pages and routing and everything, stick that in a .NET core, or no, sorry, it's a bla uh, Blazor lib uh, project. A class uh, library? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Class yeah. library, and it doesn't have the deployment model attached to it at all. Then you just create a shell that has the deployment model. Yep, that and works today. You can do multiple apps. Um, if you want to have one, I think dual mode was all about, I just have one app and I kind of just flip a switch mm -hmm. and the app magically uh, transitions to either. But you, you absolutely can just uh, you know, take all your components out, um, put them in like a, a class library or multiple class libraries and then just have multiple shell apps that reference those same components. And that, that works too. And that actually uh, works, works pretty well. Yeah, in, the, in the demo that I did, uh, each shell had its own implementation of the interface to fetch data. So when you move from one to the other, the app just picks up that service and runs with it. And it's either talking directly to any framework or it talks over HTTP, and you don't have to worry about where it's being deployed at that point. That's, so That is the beauty of dependency injection. Yes. Makes that I easy. think that's the maybe the next step. So you might start with dual mode, and then you start running into, uh, well, my data's coming from different places now, and then you have to kind of transition uh, into something bigger like that. Yeah. Um, we're, we're almost out of time, so let's take one more question here, and then we'll have some closing remarks. Um, Let's see, I saw it in here a second ago. Uh, Chris had a really interesting one that I haven't seen yet. Um, he's saying that imports.razor is somewhat painful, and he was wondering oh. if there's a way to wildcard, I assume, using statements. I'm guessing this is the namespaces. That's, that's, that's what he's talking about. Um, 
because we made a change in the the last pre uh, last preview where components now are resolved um, just by their their type name in the in scope namespaces. Like it used to be, you would write components, and if you had them in a different um, class library, if you wanted to import those components into your your application, you would use this add tag helper directive, which was super mm -hmm. weird. It was like tag helpers, like I'm not dealing with tag helpers, I'm dealing with components. Why do I have to do this? And it was just because that's how we had. Uh, you know, managed to get the, the functionality to work at the time. But we now have a more first-class model for dealing with components, which is, well, components are just types. They're just .NET types. They have a name and a namespace. If that type is in scope, you can use it. Um, and you can even, for the element name, you can use the full name of the type now instead of the, the you know, just the type name. Like if you want to do, you know, my namespace dot counter, then that that works. Uh, where I think that hit some people on when they were migrating code because you had all these components that now all of a sudden were in, they're all in different namespaces and you had to get all the right using statements in place in order to get your, your code to work. And the error experience is not great. Like when a component oh, is not wow. recognized as a component, you get these bizarre errors and you're like, what is going on? And then you realize like, oh, I just didn't have the namespace in it because it's not recognizing this element as a, as a component. So things that we're doing to help out there, we're going to, we're going to try and make that ex error experience better. Like when we see something that looks like you're trying to do a component there, but we don't know which component it is because, you know, we can't resolve that type name, we'll give you a better error experience around that. So that will help. We're also adding support for at the at namespace directive, which will allow you to explicitly specify what the namespace for a component is. And you can apply that using imports.razor in sort of a broad way. Excellent. So if you just want to dump all your components into the same namespace and then you have one using statement, you can do that. Um, and then put your components in whatever folder you want. Um, we'll we'll do, be doing that as well. I think that that was the the answer that people were looking for is at namespace directive. Uh, we'll alleviate a bunch of that. And I think that may be something that we were looking forward to as well. Um, one of the feedback pieces we got from Scott Hunter was, you guys say Telerik a lot in your components. I was like, uh, yeah, but that's that's a namespace issue that we didn't perceive because uh, we we wanted to make sure that if somebody built their own grid or tab strip or something, they wouldn't collide. They wouldn't collide. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we prefixed them because there was no namespace support, and then we got namespace support, and it almost got us there. Almost got us over the finish line, but the at namespace directive will get us the rest of the way. Oh, good. So, so the, the Telerik components, you think their the names might shorten up a little bit? Be they, a little... they might shorten up a little bit. Um, I, I can't say for certain, you know, we have to actually build it and make sure it runs and works. <laughs> but the the concept that we have is exactly what Janescu is saying in the chat room. You should be able to say, um, you know, import Telerik and then just say grid. Or you could say in brackets Telerik dot grid, yeah, if you want to. Yep. So if you end up with two and they're colliding, you can specify namespace dot grid, just like you would in C sharp that. code, right? Like you just you if you need to fully qualify the namespace. Um, another feature that might be nice that we we don't currently have on the backlog, but we also be like like aliasing namespaces. Like sometimes you do that in C sharp as well to help mm -hmm. with these issues. We don't currently have support for that, but uh, we might need to put that one on the backlog as well. So that would that might help in some of those scenarios too.
So any final closing thoughts? Well, just first of all, thank you to everyone who's been using Blazor and giving feedback. Like we get hundreds of survey responses, you know, people building cool stuff. Like I, I was looking at awesome, the awesome Blazor site uh, just earlier today and the number of links of community projects that people have put together is just phenomenal. It's because of all that that we've gotten to where we are, that Blazor is now going to ship. It's part of the .NET 5 wave to have full WebAssembly support in, in, in .NET. And that is great. And I just, you know, Thank you for everything that, that people have been doing. And uh, we've got a lot more exciting stuff coming down the pipe. And uh, keep, keep, keep using the bits, sending us feedback, and we'll keep making Blazor better. And I just want to say I'm very lucky to have the audience that I do because this is like the all-star team of Blazor. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm fortunate to have the folks that come into the chat room that are building all the really cool stuff. Uh, and then I get to showcase that on a stream. And it's their hard work I'm showing off usually. So uh, thank you guys for joining us again and asking Dan questions uh, on the fly here. Dan, thank you so much for giving us some of your time during a very busy build. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. And uh, we're going to sign off now, guys. Thank you very much for joining us on the stream again. And uh, if you're listening on the Eat Sleep Code podcast, uh, we'll have show notes and all of those great things up on Telerik.com. Thanks again for listening to Eat Sleep Code. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a share from iTunes or SoundCloud. And visit us at Telerik.com.